All right. We are supposed to be going through the hard time letters, practical life skills from Paul's prison epistles. There is hope because we will be going through this series. But if you'll notice last week, you can see the date, 12-5-2021. We went through Philippians 1, 18b through 30, Tenacious Faith, Part 1. And you can also see the next message is 12-19, so there's a problem. This was brought to my attention when I looked at the sheet that looks much like this. It's posted in the lobby, and it's out there, copies for you. <clears throat> I think it was updated uh, September 11th or something like that. But if you look down here, there is no December 12th. I made a mistake. Joanna kindly brought this to my attention. And I told her, it's okay, we'll take care of it. I'll do some sort of a holiday message or something. I just, I just made a mistake. I don't know how I didn't catch that. So, today, what do we have? The unexpected message. Yeah, that's today. The unexpected message. What happened? I'm going to ask this question a few times, and I hope it gets very personal for you. I'm going to make it personal for me. I'm going to go ahead and answer that question. What happened? Well, what happened? This week, on Monday, I went in for my regular weekly COVID test, and I was, on Tuesday, I received a call. My test was Monday, 6.30 in the morning. Tuesday, 6.30 in the morning, I received a call. I was on my way into work that I tested positive for COVID. <gasps> yeah, that's true. <clears throat> One thing that you know about me, I'm a germaphobe. So, so far, I have learned that everyone that I've come in contact with has test, that's tested has tested negative. So it appears that I hadn't, haven't spread it to anyone, which is good. But look at this image. This is an image of a 1969 double-wide trailer with my truck parked in front of it. For your information, this is where I stay during the week when I work at the prison. I come up Sunday afternoons, and I stay here Sunday nights through Thursday during the day, and then I drive back to our home in Olympia. And then I spend my Fridays here in uh, Silverdale, and sometimes my Saturdays, and I definitely spend my Sunday mornings here. But I'm not here this morning because I'm in this trailer that you can see. I am quarantined and isolated from everyone, but I hope to be back to you next week. And if you want to take note, you can see off in the distance behind that shelter that's beside uh, my truck, and then there's a white truck there. But behind that, you can see off in the distance, barely can see it, across the Strait of Juan de Fuca, which is the waterway that separates the United States and Canada. That's that little dark area that you can barely see back in there. That's Canada. <clears throat> Pretty cool that I'm, I typically stay that close. And that's where I'm preaching this message, inside this double-wide trailer. And I hope to uh, have a live video conference with you at the announcement time, if that works. And We'll say hi and uh, interact then. Not too long ago, I began arguing that I could, uh, I wanted to ar baptize people that wanted to be baptized in the prison. So I want to show you this image. This is me baptizing a guy with all this PPE on. I had to do all kinds of things, shock the water, commit to dump, draining it and cleaning it between individuals, wearing all the PPE uh, I failed in this picture, even though I did sanitize my hands, I didn't put the gloves on, so my bad. But I also 
committed to being vaccinated so that I could baptize these people, so I did that. This is going somewhere. This is going somewhere. And we've baptized multiple people in the prison. Uh, we've set all kinds of records and had several firsts. And so I'm, I'm excited about that. So that's very cool. But besides being vaccinated for that, I uh, think that I am experiencing uh, very few symptoms from my COVID. If you've been praying for me, thank you. But besides my vaccination probably helping with that, I don't know. Uh, but also... <clears throat> Besides being a germaphobe, look at all these supplements. I take these supplements and more on a daily basis. And uh, so that probably contributes to me having mostly uh, asymptomatic uh, signs of this experience. Thank you for your prayers. But we must get on with the message, the unexpected message. What happened? What happened? I mean, you came to church this morning and... And here you are, and the preacher's not even standing on the stage. You're hearing audio, and you're seeing slides that, that come up on the screen. What happened? Well, this is an unexpected message. I mean, yeah, two weeks ago we did this, but none of us were expecting that this Sunday. And here we are. I want to remind you about Paul's missionary journeys, and I've got a chart. Those of you who are in person here this morning, you can see that Paul wrote 13 different books over his missionary journeys and in between. And if you notice, there's a football that goes bouncing. I don't, don't focus on the Seahawks. I know they're playing right about now. We shouldn't be focused on that. Sorry that I made your minds go there. But where that football landed, you see that's Philippians in the prison epistles that we are going through. This is from his first Roman imprisonment. He wrote these letters, including Philippians, that we're in the middle of going through right now. <clears throat> but we're deviating today. I want to show you also that then he wrote his, he began writing his pastoral epistles after the, that first Roman imprisonment. The pastoral epistles written to church leadership, to the evangelists Timothy and Titus, young preachers. There were leaders of leaders left in charge of, of substantial churches. And then it wasn't until his second Roman imprisonment that he wrote his final book. You see the football move. Second Timothy, the final book, the last of his books that he would write that would wind up in our Bibles. Second Timothy. So I want you to notice uh, that you see a blue line go from Philippians, his 10th book that he wrote, and from 2 Timothy, his 13th book that he wrote. Notice that three to four years has passed in between. And Paul writes in 2 Timothy the final words that he would be inspired to write. And at the very end of 2 Timothy, some of his final of his final words, he impresses upon Timothy, the evangelist, these words, and I take it personally because I am an evangelist. So 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 and following, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. <laughs> Preach in season and out, of, be ready in season and out of season. Boy, am I having to do that right now, even when I got COVID. It continues, verse 3 and following. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, 
But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, enduring suffering, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. I take this personally. Paul was inspired to write these things to an evangelist, and I take it personally because I am an evangelist. I am supposed to do these things. People aren't going to want to hear the truth. A time is coming when people want to hear what pleases them, not what they need to hear. And certainly that time has arrived. We talked about this last week. I I even uh, shared uh, a video from Francis Chan who explained this popular prosperity gospel. The most trendy preachers and authors of Christianity type material today this is what they preach. I feel like Paul is telling me, preach the truth and be, be ready. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. And I want you to pay attention to this slide. <clears throat> Those of you that can see this, that are in person, watch what happens when he clicks. Separates it out. Because I want you to see these different things. And I checked out the Greek, and it seems that we have good translation here, a good translation in the English Standard Version. So I want to give you Merriam-Webster's definition of each word. This is how we're to preach the word. I'm to, I am to reprove. That's the first word. You see it underlined. It means to scold or correct, usually gently or with kindly intent. So in, in the way that I'm supposed to scold or correct as a preacher, sometimes I'm supposed to do this gently, carefully, like with gloves. But notice the next word. The next word is rebuke. Merriam-Webster says to criticize sharply or reprimand. So sometimes as I preach, I'm supposed to handle with kid gloves people. I'm supposed to gently and kindly handle as I scold or correct. But then there are times when I must criticize sharply and reprimand. It calls for different ways. I have to balance this. I have to figure out what's going to be the most effective. And look at the last word, exhort. Merriam-Webster says it means to incite by argument or advice, urge strongly. So in my preaching, I am supposed to motivate by reason with gentleness at times and with kindness at times and sometimes with sharpness and harshness. I have to say what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. And I have to say it in a way that's effective. With complete patience, see that last line? With complete patience and teaching. It's my job. I want you to look at this image. It's an image, uh, and if you can't see this, uh, use your imagination. It's of Ebenezer Scrooge, of the Christmas Carol. I want to divide this image in half because I want to show you another dark character that we like to watch on the big screen or on our televisions, and that is Scrooge. And you can see I have them come together, meshing into a split face. You've got Scrooge and you've got Grinch. Scrooge on one side, Grinch on the other. Two different dark characters. And I wanted you to look at that because I want you to think to yourself, ask the question, have you become like one of these in this holiday season? 
where the stresses have gotten to us. Maybe it's because there's there's not enough employees because we've paid people not to work so long, and then we've we've added this vaccination this vaccine mandate, and now there's less workers also because of that, and and now we have to social distance with increased lines because it's Christmas and everybody's shopping and it takes forever. Is that what is that what's stressing us, or is it because the economy is tanked and many of us are feeling it? Some of us don't have enough money to be generous like we'd like to to the people we love during the holidays, and it's getting to us. Or maybe some horrible memories have come back into our minds that we're choosing to focus on the negatives, and during the holidays, we're dragging other people down because we're down. Like Scrooge and like the Grinch. We don't want to be like that. But then... Sometimes we act like that. So I, I have to ask the question, what, what happened? What happened? None of us want to be the kind of people that make other people miserable. What happened? <clears throat> Jesus speaks to this. At least he has some words of wisdom for us. And I want you to look at Matthew chapter 18. I'll start reading with verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Continues. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, but whoever causes one of the least, little, these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. And you can see there's a letter A in the text that's on the screen, and you see the Greek word down below, and the way you say it is scandalousy. Does that sound like scandalous? It's, how, it's for the word that we... That's how we get our word scandalous, from this Greek word, which means to cause to stumble. So we're supposed to become like little children and don't dare do such a scandalous thing as to cause one of these little ones to stumble. <clears throat> what is Jesus talking about here? Look at this image you see of a woman who has four children sitting with her. She's got a book. It's open. She's reading to them, and each of these children are captivated with the words and the images on those pages, they are, they are so much eating it up. They're trying to learn and absorb and listen. I want to shrink the image to show you a word, disciple. The word disciple is used throughout the New Testament to describe people who follow Jesus. And a disciple doesn't mean a follower. It's just a word that's used to describe the followers of Jesus. And I want to move the picture to show you what the word disciple means. It means learner. We get the word discipline from the word disciple. You see, these children are learners. They could care less that people don't know that they, they could care less that people know that they don't know. Children are that way. They ask questions all the time. They want to learn. But when you become an adult, so many times we want to act like we do know when we don't know because we care too much what other people think of us. And we would rather stay wrong than to be corrected and then be right. And Jesus says we have to humble ourselves and become like a child. Or we can't even enter the kingdom of heaven. 
And no one <clears throat> should do such a scandalous thing as to cause a learner to stumble. People of God, we used to be eager. Remember when you were like that? Where you were so hungry, you opened up the Word of God and you just wanted to know what it meant. What is He saying to me? What does He want me to do? I was so eager. May I ask you this question quite personally? What happened? Did you used to be passionate? What happened? I want to show you an image of a brain. This is uh, got different colors flashing around, brains moving. And this is associated with a term called neuroplasticity, a relatively new scientific term because it's a new field of science. We have learned that if you think a certain way over a period of time, then your brain will actually reform itself so that it more naturally thinks that way. That's why we've got people who focus on negative things. The more they keep on focusing on negative things, the more they become a negative person. They just keep on, and it's like they're stuck in a negative world. It doesn't mean it's permanent. It just means that's what they more naturally do because they started thinking that way. Now they're stuck thinking that way. Their brain has reformed, and it more naturally does this. <clears throat> I want to also bring to mind this other term, cognitive behavioral therapy. I know I've talked about all these things, but it's important. Cognitive behavioral therapy is the most effective and most common counseling that we use today. Trust me. And it's interesting because this is the most innovative and creative and the most effective counseling that we use today. Okay, well, it's quite biblical. Let me show you. It starts with the thinking. First, you've got to correct the thinking which then improves your feeling, and then it leads to proper doing. So your proper thinking, corrected thinking, helps correct the feelings and helps you correct your behavior. This is a Greek word, and the way you say it is metanoeo. It means, I change my mind. The way you see it translated in the New Testament is repent. But the word repent, I move it over here above thinking because you have to, to start. It starts with your mind, your thinking. If you're going to improve your behavior, you've got to start with your thinking. It improves your feeling and it improves the behavior. And it starts with you saying, I change my mind. You have to make the decision to stop thinking incorrectly. I'm going to show you an image here. You've got two pictures. You've got a picture of a youthful Howard Stern and an older Howard Stern, and you can see it just fading away. I just wanted to show you that because Howard Stern has changed over the years. As that image fades away, I want you to think about you. Maybe images that you have seen of yourself when you were younger. What you look like then and what you look like now. Think about those images and what you were doing in those images. Even if not much time has passed, maybe, maybe you're just a teenager, or maybe, maybe a lot of time has passed, but think about the images in your mind right now. What happened? Life happened. Circumstances happened. And who you are today is determined by how you choose to think, feel, and behave. <clears throat> I want to read to you a poem that can be, um, can be emotional for some of us to hear this. It's called Changing Places by Alora M. Knight. 
I see the sadness in your eyes, the times that you are knowing what's happening to your wondrous mind, the symptoms you are showing. It was so hard to recognize when they started coming through the little things that changed you from the person that I knew. The doctor's confirmation was so hard to accept, to know that little could be done, that there's no cure as of yet. Forgive me, dear, if sometimes I give in to my frustrations. It's just so overwhelming, this change in our relations. Now I'm the one to be on guard, to keep you safe from harm, protecting you the best I can, and not showing my alarm. I hope you can, I hope you can still understand how much you mean to me. Though you curse me or forget me, I'll accept what has to be. For I will still remember the joys that we once shared. You showed me in so many ways how very much you cared. I pray to God to give me strength to do what must be done, to trust that in the future this battle will be won. This is very personal to me. <clears throat> My mother had dementia. My stepfather, who moved in with us after my mother passed, had dementia. Stephanie's father has dementia. And others that I have known have had dementia or other declining uh, brain health issues. It's hard. It's hard to watch that. The sad thing is, I mean, we have people whose brains don't work the way they're supposed to work anymore. And we focus on remembering some good things. They, they tend to do that, too. They remember some of their good memories and they repeat them over and over again. But their brains are broken. For some of us whose brains are working just fine, we're not using them very well because we choose to think wrong. We dwell on negative. And we don't have to. For a moment, I want you to be similar to a lot of senior citizens who focus on nostalgic things. I want you to think about my nostalgia. You, you, you say those words in your own mind, my nostalgia. It's nostalgic to you. And I'm going to ask a question. So my question mark is appearing up behind the words, my nostalgia. I'm going to make it a little bit more personal. <clears throat> I'm going to change the direction. As you think about nostalgic things, just for a moment, I want to throw in a word. Spiritual. My spiritual nostalgia. I want you to go back in time, and I want you to think of that. And for some of us, it might not be that long ago. But I want you to go back in time to that place where you were pulled by God so close to Christ. You were so close on that spiritual mountaintop experience, whether it was at church camp or at church or in junior church, or maybe it was in the kitchen and in the home of some believers you were very close to, or in yours, or maybe it was in a Bible study, it's, or maybe God dropped you to your knees in a difficult circumstance, but He pulled you close to Him, and you were on that spiritual mountaintop. As you're thinking about your spiritual nostalgia, I want to ask you a question. Are you still there? What happened? What happened? As we began our journey in Philippians in this series, I read uh, from the beginning, and I want to read you some verses again, starting with 
Philippians chapter 1, verse 3 through 5, and this time in the NIV. I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Can you feel that? Paul loved how he thought about the Christians at Philippi. And I want to focus on that verse 3. Look at this. You'll see it highlighted. I thank my God every time I remember you. Some of you have had messages from me in our history. Some of you had me say that right to your face or over the phone or some message. And if you haven't, you will, because I think this way about each one of you in my church family here. I thank my God every time I remember you. And that, that is for real. If I could look at you in your eyes right now and say that to you, I, w- I would. I want you to know I thank my God every time I remember you. And I know there's probably other people that think that way of you as well. And you know what? What's more important is that God thinks of us with that kind of mindset. That's what I want. I want God to think of me and think, you know, well done, my good and faithful servant. But what happened? For some of us, if we were to ask the question, Jesus, you think I'm doing a good job in my, in my walk with you? Some of us, that's a hard thing to ask. I'm reminded of a man after God's own heart, David, his first psalm. I'm going to read that first psalm to you. Psalm 1, beginning with verse 1. I'm going to read the whole thing. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. What happened? What happened to me? What happened to you? There was a king in all the kings of Judah that is considered by most as the most evil king of all. I'm going to read about him right now. 2 Chronicles chapter 33, verse 1. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations, whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel, for he rebuilt the high places that his father Hezekiah had broken down. And he erected altars to the Baals and made Asheroth and worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. Down to verse 6, And he burned his sons as an offering in the valley of the son of Hinnom and used fortune-telling and omens and sorcery and dealt with mediums and necromancers, in other words, witches. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. I'm going to read... Verse 9, Manasseh led Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem astray to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. 
Now I'm going to read verse 10 and following, and notice this is going to be a roller coaster because things are going to change. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and to his people, but they paid no attention. Therefore the Lord brought upon them the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria, who captured Manasseh with hooks and bound him with chains of bronze and brought him to Babylon. And when he was in distress, he entreated the favor of the Lord his God, and he humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. He prayed to him, and God was moved by his entreaty and heard his plea and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Some of us, when we hear, when we get, we hear these messages, we're, we, we hear these questions like, what happened? And we realize, I have fallen off the mountain. I've let the devil get to me. And I don't even know how if God could, could forgive me for the things that I've done and how far away I've gotten from him. How I've become so negative and critical. And I've dragged down people who think like God wants them to think. And I pull them down. How I make other people miserable sometimes. Sometimes... We, we just think these thoughts of how could God forgive me? And I can tell you, Manasseh is, by most scholars' estimations, he's the most evil king out of all the kings of Judah. I mean, he sacrificed his own sons. He burned them alive. He, to false gods, he built altars in the temple to false gods. When God directly spoke to him to try to get his attention, he ignored him. So God allowed them to be captured with hooks and shackled and taken in captivity to Babylon by a different kingdom. But that evil Manasseh realized the error of his ways. He humbled himself and he begged God for mercy and God gave it because that's the God we serve. This is a God in the Old Testament and arguably the most evil king of all the kings of Judah, when he humbled himself and he changed his mind, God forgave him. I want to remind you of a song. I'm going to read you the first lines of this song that we're all familiar with, one of my favorites. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. And you can tell the author of this was very humble. If you'd like to learn more about God's grace, I encourage you, get on Spotify, get on Apple Podcasts, get on whatever venue you want to find, look up Pastor Jeff Adams and look up the message, His Grace is Big Enough. It's the, my favorite message I've ever delivered, and uh, you can learn a lot more about God's grace. But don't think that God cannot forgive you because He's ready and willing and wants to. If you've been thinking wrong, it's time to correct it so that you'll feel better and do better. God, God's grace is big enough for you, for any of us. I want to show you that image again. Here we've got Ebenezer Scrooge and you've got the Grinch. We love these stories. We love watching these movies. And one of the reasons why we love it so much is because these very dark characters that are so miserable, they drag everyone else down. They purposely go out of their way to make everyone miserable. Those characters, both Ebenezer Scrooge and the Grinch, change their thinking. And then they feel better. And they improve their behavior 
and the movies and the books end so well. What happened? They changed. What just, what just happened this morning? As you come and, and you have this strange thing where this preacher talks about things he's already talked about, neuroplasticity and cognitive behavioral therapy and, and repent and this unexpected message. What happened? Were you moved by the Spirit of God? As God's trying to reach down and grab a hold of your attention, what happened? Maybe you should ask Jesus, Jesus, what happened? Maybe if you're asking about the mountaintop experience that you're no longer on, that you once were, that passion you once had, where'd it go? Maybe you need to ask about the more optimistic and positive person you used to be, a person that you want to be. You want to be a person that brings other people closer to God, not drives people further away. Maybe if you ask Jesus what happened to you. Maybe if you ask yourself what happened this morning, listen. My voice in your head, That's the Holy Spirit. That's not you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this unexpected message. Lord, you forced me to take some time and study for a message I hadn't planned to deliver. And you convicted me, Lord. And I hope that This message has moved your people as well. Because your word is so powerful and it never comes back empty. Lord, maybe, maybe what has happened this morning is you have moved your people. God, we know the world needs us to be your people. So Lord, we ask you to help us Help us to to reach back as you try to pull us closer to you so that we can be your instruments who pull others closer to you as well. Even in these difficult times in this holiday season. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.